This morning we are continuing our work through the book of 1 Timothy, and we've made it up to the beginning of chapter 3, where we will be looking at verses 1 through 13. The words will be on the screen behind me, but if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, that's again found on page 1178. Again, page 1178, or more importantly, from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Under the inspiration Paul writes of the, of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes to Timothy, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, Likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful, in all things, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know it's... I just planned these services as they come, and I was grateful to see that actually it happened to be Cadet Sunday when we're preaching on this text. And even though this isn't a children's message, I thought I would direct some attention to them and invite you to help me with a couple of parts of the service. And the first part is with a question that I have. And since Walter and Aaron and John, you're sitting right there, you're the ones that are going to help me. You don't have to get up, but I'm going to ask you a question. If you could have any job at all when you get older, what would it be? Now, a real job, not like I'd like to taste test ice cream for a million dollars a year. Of course, that would be a wonderful job. But a real job with its actual responsibilities and pay, what would you like to do? When I was your age, I would probably answer that being a, a professional baseball player. That would be what I would love to be able to do. Any of you guys have an answer yet? Farming. Walter would like to do farming. Chop corn. Chop corn. 
Okay, that's John and Aaron? A farmer. Okay. See, sometimes the children don't play along, and you guys didn't really play along either. Do you think that's possible that when you grow, you could become, all right, but, and that's what you would like to do? Wonderful. And I think you guys could do that, right, when you grow older. Well, hold on to those questions, because maybe for some of you who have done farming, you're like, boy, these guys are making a mistake. They should go for football player or author or actor. And we all kind of have those dreams, right? Well, I'm going to come back to that at the end of my message, but let's get into the text a little bit. We've been in this book of 1 Timothy, and I call it a book, but really, as we said from the beginning, this is a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his friend and co-worker in the faith, Timothy, under the circumstances where Timothy had been left or sent to Ephesus, this church there, to try to help them deal with some struggles that they were having and to encourage them, and all the while allow for Timothy to be encouraged in his own faith and in his own work as well. And in this particular text, I think it becomes pretty apparent from the very beginning the point of this part that we just looked at. Tim, uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy to find and set up leaders, leaders who are going to direct and guide the church well. And as obvious and clear as that message is, let me actually start this morning by talking about something that's subtly behind all of this. And that is, if, if Timothy is being encouraged to set up these kinds of leaders, it suggests that we need leaders in the church. It's clear that we have to have these kinds of overseers and servants in our community. The church can be described as a lot of different things. To some, it's a building, a physical location. The church is an organization. The church is a collection of people. But ultimately, if the church is going to be the, what the church is supposed to be, God's community of people working together to live out their faith, then it is necessary that they have overseers and deacons encouraging them. And don't overlook that fact. As much as our modern world likes to describe the Christian faith as primarily being about a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that simply is not true. Faith is always and always has been a communal activity. We need each other. We need each other to learn from the ideas and thoughts and experiences of one another. We need the support of one another, doing things that I can't do on my own and working together to accomplish far more than we could in our own abilities and strength. We need accountability. Someone to examine my life and to say, hey, you're overstepping bounds, or I don't know if that was the right decision to make, and, and you need to be working on that. We need correction when we fall, and we need support in our faith, and we need leaders to organize and guide in all of those areas. And when leaders are lacking, we see what happens. The truths of the faith get compromised. 
Morals start to slide and fail. Our testimony fades, and we are not as impactful as we could be. Again, the likely reason for the writing of this portion of the text to Timothy was the fact that the church in Ephesus was lacking in leaders. The people who wanted leadership positions were not the ones that should be in those positions. They were the people who were leading astray and not leading well by example. And what was happening in Ephesus we've seen Ephesus we've seen happen over and over again throughout churches and throughout time. When leaders don't lead well, the church falters. And so, while the point is simple and more suggested in this passage than directly taught, there is the clear idea that overseers and deacons are an important part, a necessary part of what the church is all about. And because it is important, Paul reminds and encourages Timothy about the kind of leaders he should be looking for and finding. But that's a second and very important thing to note about this text as well. The text talks about overseers and deacons. And in many commentaries that I read, they suggested that this is the early portions of the church, and we should be very careful about too quickly drawing a direct parallel between leaders in the church, those who with the role and office of elder and pastor, or deacons as we know it today. Overseers was just a borrowed Greek term, a, a Gentile term, generally just describing leadership in general. And deacons literally is the Greek word meaning servant. It could just as exactly be translated servant here as well. But we've given it this official title to mean someone with an official position within the church called deacon. But as much as we recognize that truth, we don't know exactly if they were the same roles. And part of the reason we don't know that is because this text doesn't tell us in any way what these people were supposed to be doing. The one exception to that is at the very end of verse 2 when it says that overseers should be able to teach. That's the one glimpse we get of the, of the work that they are doing. But instead of actually being a job description or explaining, this is what these overseers are to be doing, and this is the role and the task of the deacons in the church... Paul doesn't worry about that. Instead, almost all of his attention is directed at what kind of person should be filling these roles. What is the character of the individual that you should be looking for who could step forward and lead the church appropriately because they're the kind of person that you want to lead? And that's what the majority of our text is. The majority of our text is just laying out a list of character traits, of attributes, of lifestyle choices that these leaders need to have before they are even eligible for these titles and these roles. Now, we could, as many commentators that I read do, go through each one of these words, and I thought that might be a little laborious this morning, so I decided instead to sort of divide them into a couple of categories that they can all be lumped together and look at both overseer and deacon together because the lists are very close to one another. And when we divide them into categories, 
we see, first of all, that the person must be a genuine and established believer. This is seen in the fact that an overseer cannot be a recent convert, lest they be given in to pride, that they must be able to teach, and that the deacons must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. There's a saying that goes, you cannot lead anyone else further than you have gone yourself. And in many ways, I think that's exactly what is being applied to this text. You're not going to be a leader of the church if you yourself have not given yourself over to the Lord. That you don't know who he is, that you don't have a grasp of, as we saw earlier in 1 Timothy, the rule and the meaning of the law about the gospel message, that if you're not knowing that and living that out, then you yourself cannot be a good leader. And so, first of all, they have to know Jesus. Then, as I've already alluded, in knowing Jesus and having a genuine and established faith, it should clearly affect the way that they live their lives. And the second category of words mentioned, in fact, the bulk of the words that are mentioned kind of fall into the category that they are a person who is self-disciplined and self-controlled. The specific words that fall under this category include sober-minded, self-controlled, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not double-tongued, not greedy, etc., and sir, in short, in order to be eligible as a leader in the church, you should not be under the whims of your selfish nature, your sinful nature. The temptations that come your way, you should have a desire and an ability to stand against them. And therefore, your passions should be under control. You shouldn't be angry or greedy or aggressive. Your Habits should be under control, not giving in to addictions to specifically alcohol or any other substance I think would fall under this category. You should not be tempted by greed or financial gain. That should not motivate your desires for these positions. Overall, they should be practiced, as I said, in fighting against temptation and living out their relationship with the Lord in a clear and consistent manner. And that leads to the next broad category, and that they are to be respected. First of all, they are to be respected in their homes. The text for both overseer and deacon specifically mentions the marriage and parenting of both of them. It is not to say that they have to be married or they have to be parents in order to be eligible for these roles. But what it is saying is that watching how someone manages their household is a wonderful glimpse in their ability to be a leader. And the reason for this is specifically given. If they cannot manage their households well, then how are they going to manage God's church? In addition to being respected in their homes, the eligible leader needs to be respected in general society. Specifically, they are to be hospitable and well thought of by outsiders and dignified. If someone is perceived as, as rude, aggressive, untrustworthy, 
or a jerk in society in general, and what sort of testimony are they going to be for the church of Christ? And building on everything that we said last week about how being able to speak the hope of the gospel to the community and keeping their ears open, establishing a relationship with them, all of that crumbles and falls apart when your leaders are people who are, are dismissed or living in society in such a way that they do not honor the name of Jesus, but rather bring shame to it. And that will allow them to, or cause them to lose their voice, and their testimony. Again, I've gone through the list pretty briefly. But when you start looking at those, whether in broad categories or in detail, it is very intimidating. I know this because our leaders, our elders and deacons, we regularly revisit these lists and talk about each one of those things and how and if we are living them out in our lives and all of us. Constantly confess to feeling inadequate. I don't know that there's any honest person that could stand up and say, pick me. I fulfill all of these categories really well. In fact, if someone did say, I'm doing great at all of these, pick me for leadership, I would be real cautious about appointing them to leader because I wonder how honest they are with their lives. And so if we are going to fall short, what do we do? If no one can live into this list perfectly, how do we handle that? And I think this is where we lean into the faith. Where we are reminded of, as we just heard a few weeks ago, Paul's conversion story. That for a long time, he was not only completely ineligible for leadership, he was against the church in every way, shape, and form, seeking to persecute and destroy it. But when he met his Savior, Jesus Christ, his life was radically and completely changed. And because of the grace given him in Jesus, he could lead the church and guide it and be one of its greatest apostles. And in the very same way, anybody else that leans on the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, that depends on the Holy Spirit to guide and direct them, to do with them what they could not do on their own, that is how we find the ability to lead. By constantly going back to the cross, confessing our sins, Repenting and asking Jesus to continue to shape us into the people he's calling us to be. To cling to his Holy Spirit for that constant presence and wisdom. And then we lean on one another. That's why we need community. That when we fall short, when we struggle, there are others who can encourage us, who can set good examples for us, who can challenge us when we fall short, who could speak truth into our lives. And that is how we continue to grow. And that's where I want to challenge all of us. And so when I thought about all of these attributes, these character traits, this list given here, and I thought about it being Cadet Sunday, I couldn't help but think about the Cadet Code. You guys know the Cadet Code? All right, we're going to say it together. We're going to go slow so that they can hear it and think about it. But, and some of you are like, which one's the code? I'll start and you can join with me, all right? A cadet must be reverent, obedient, compassionate, 
consecrated, trustworthy, pure, grateful, loyal, industrious, and cheerful. Yeah. Now you think through that list, and the list looks very similar to the list of things that we were talking about. Being loyal, being cheerful, being pure. If these are the kinds of things we're asking of you as cadets, shouldn't that certainly be the very same attributes we look for in leaders? And that's because this list for the leaders isn't about just elevating these great and, and perfect people to positions of authority. But it's that this is what living for Jesus, that's your motto that's on all of your shirts, living for Jesus, this is what that looks like. When you know Jesus, when you live for him, this is what your life is going to look like. And when you fall short in those areas, that means that maybe there's some things you've got to confess. And maybe there's some things that you need to grow in and, and focus on and develop. And that's where I wanted to go back to these jobs that I was asking about. And again, I, I, you guys did a great job. I appreciated your honest answers, but I was hoping someone would say something like, I want to be a football player or a movie star or a basketball player. I'm not a baseball player like I would have said I wanted to be. And there's good reason for that. I never could be. I'm not fast enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not big enough, and I didn't have the hand-eye coordination that I needed. I struck out far too many times. Same thing with other sports. I could never be a basketball player. I could work for hours and train forever, but I'm not tall enough. I'm not naturally athletic enough. And there's a whole other category of jobs that, quite frankly, I'm not smart enough to do. I wasn't born with the intelligence that would be needed. However, at the same time, there's a whole list of other jobs that I probably could do. I might not be skilled in naturally, but if I spent enough time learning and growing in that subject and developing it, I could develop and get those gifts that I would need. Now, here's my question. For leaders in the church, which one do you think it is? Do you think that this is a, this is a description of people that, that have natural abilities that only a few would be able to ever obtain? Or are these gifts that almost anyone could develop and grow in their life? Which one do you think it is? The second one. Thank you, Asher. And I agree. This isn't something exclusive that only particular people who have particular traits and, and unique gifts would ever be able to accomplish. But the hope is that this is something that all of us are striving toward. And so when we read this list, it should do a few things for us. First of all, it should exclude it should open our eyes to be cautious and careful about who we elevate to particular positions and surrender and submit authority to. Recognizing that there just are some people who shouldn't fill those roles, at least right now. Not necessarily forever, because again, lives can change and should grow and develop. And who, someone who is not eligible today may very well make a great leader in the future. So that's the other side of it. it. It should exclude, but it also should challenge. 
It should challenge us to say, that's the kind of believer that I want to be. Someone who myself is, is self-controlled. Who allowing the spirit to dwell and direct my life, I'm not given in to passions. Someone who is a genuine believer. Who knows and wants to learn as much as you can about who God is and how he made you and how he's calling you to live in this world. And someone, when other people look at you, they say, I respect that person. I appreciate who they are. I think that in watching the way that they live and the decisions that they make, that challenges me to try to live in that kind of a way. That encourages me because I say, look, if this person can do it, then I can too. And so I want to present that challenge to you cadets. That is, you not only think about what it means to be a cadet and your code and that general motto of living for Jesus, that you look at these traits and you say, maybe someday that's the leader I'm going to be. Because the blunt reality is, as I started at the beginning, the church always will need leaders. We need people to guide and direct us and encourage and challenge us. And in the years to come, this church is going to need some of you to be those leaders. So start now, knowing Jesus, wanting to live for him, and developing those character traits that will be a blessing to his church and to this world. And then beyond the cadets, I look out. And I say that in a couple of months, we're going to be looking for new elders and new deacons to fill and to continue the work of leadership in this church. And always, my hope and prayer is that there are many in this congregation who easily and apparently would fit in these descriptions. People who are obviously giving their lives to the Lord and seeking to serve him in every way, shape, and possible. And it should be an easy task for us to look among our congregation and say, certainly, these people would do well in leading this congregation. But even for those who never will, never want to fill the roles and official titles of leaders in the church, elders and deacons, I think this list still applies. Because it still is generally what it looks like to live out the gospel. And that's my final analogy and illustration. It's like a job, but it's also like dating relationships in some ways. That even before you enter into a dating relationship that you would hope to lead to a marriage, you should have certain things that you think of. Well, this is what I'm looking for, and, and this would exclude the person. They must have these details and qualities, and they must not have these things. It's the same with the church. We don't want leaders who are greedy, selfish, not controlled, disrespected, or looked down on in society in general. But we want the kind of leaders who want to live for Jesus in all that they do. And so, I hope that this list, as we reread it and encourage each other to do that, will be a, a model for all of us to say, that's the kind of person I strive to be. Not in my own strength, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me and what he's calling me to be. So toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, in our sinful and selfish tendencies, we don't like leaders. 
We want to do things our way, and we don't like to submit or to surrender to anybody, let alone any other fallible human being. But Lord, we also recognize that we need leaders. We need people to encourage us. And I want to praise and thank you for the leaders of this church currently and in the past. Those who have led this church well. Who have kept us focused on your word. Focused on living for you. And encouraging us to see what it looks like to have a lifestyle that surrenders to you. Again, I want to thank you for our cadet program and all of the programs that seek to model this for others and challenge us to think what it means to live these kind of lives. And I pray again, Lord, that as we look upon our church, that this would be our desire, not so that we would be well thought of or so that we would grow, but that your kingdom, your message of hope would be seen and expand throughout this world. And so, Lord, as we seek to live for Jesus in all that we do, we pray that we would be guided by your Holy Spirit and encouraged by the examples and people that we see around us. All this we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.